Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hey, Rahman. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Thank you. And you? Yeah, yeah good. Thanks. Yeah, the last one was pretty nice. We went through a bit of an introduction with you and um, covered a whole bunch of subjects that came up during our talk about your background and basically what, what got you into the markets generally, how, how your approach tailored over time, etc. So I thought we'd continue our conversation and dig a bit deeper subject by subject that came up particularly with regards to manual versus algorithmic trading in in this section because we touched upon both last time so i thought it'd be a, a good place for us to start and address this sort of interesting debate we have in the industry of uh, particularly yeah, sure. in the retail trading sector um that to do with manual versus algorithmic trading and uh, i was never really successful in manual trading but uh, oh, you I weren't can, uh, <laughs> I, can, I still have some opinions about it so so before we start like um, since you've opened that can of worms why don't you go for it tell me tell me a bit more about your experience with with manual trading and why why you found it wasn't um, you, you didn't have find much success in that um, well, first, I think I never really did uh, 100% manual trading. Usually I have, um, uh, even if I did some manual trading, uh, some of the um, uh, trading strategy was automated. And um, for example, I think I mentioned last time that um, I had a strategy where I would um, like determine the direction fundamentally, mm-hmm. but then ex- do the execution automatically. For example, I like had some... Um, the fundamental opinion that the euro um, was uh, over uh, overvalued and um, um, versus the uh, U.S. dollar, yeah. and then I would enter uh, um, like in a, and I would only enter in short trades, but the entry was based on um, technical indicators. So the trading was all done automatically, but mm-hmm. I only decided which direction I would I wanted to trade. So when you say trading was done automatically, are you referring to execution? Like, so you would do the research process manually, but you'd automate the execution part? Yeah, right. For example, I would um, search for uh, pullbacks on a um, like technical um, basis, like mm-hmm. um, um, simple indicators like Bollinger Band or some uh, other indicators which can be used to um, determine if there's a small pullback. And then I would only enter in the direction which I... Um, determined uh, manually. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So how did you go about separating um, the sort of discretionary side from the execution side? So how, how would how would your workflow, what does your workflow look like in that time when you were you were doing this semi-automated trading? So you'd start out with your research process. Like let's let's let everybody hear more about how you would bring the two worlds together so they can they can hear how your perspective on on combining manual research with automated execution. Let's run through the, the mm. beginning. 
Yeah, I mean, in this specific case, I would first write the um, algorithm mm -hmm. and um, test it on back tests um, to see that uh, it is basically working. And but, when you um, say algorithm, you're referring to your rules, right? Not necessarily yes, an actual rules, algorithm yeah. in a programming language or anything, yeah. just the rules. But um, this specific algorithm was not profitable if you just use it um, all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but my idea was that if I have a fundamental idea how where the price should go in the long term, that I could then um, uh, like filter out, uh, out some of the uh, lost trades. Um, okay. And uh, I mean, the manual side was not very structured. I'm, I follow a lot of people on um, Twitter and then I get um, like people who analyze the markets. And mm -hmm. um, also for some time I had a subscription to research from, um, from trading desk from okay. investment banks like Morgan Stanley and so on. Mm -hmm. So I would read their um, research and then um, form an own opinion based on that. Okay, interesting. And then once you formed your opinion and you were like, right, I have a trading idea here. Um, what would you do at that point then to get into executing that trading idea on the markets? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the, the part where you would either manually execute the trade or what did you do in terms of automating that whole thing? So you could keep your research manual, like you say at the time. Um, but once you've done your research, have something in place that just executed on it, just did the work for you. Um, yeah. In this um, specific case, I had an um, EA on MT, um, MT4. And the EA input is an expert advisor in MetaTrader, I imagine. Yes. Yes. Okay. And the input was um, like it had a, um, an input parameter where I could say, for example, um, euro long, dollar short, and uh, so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could, um, I would maybe change the settings every every um, every week and check if it's still if I still want to go long euro or if I still want to go short uh, pound or something like this. And um, yeah, so I would regularly check the input settings, and then the EA would do everything automatically and also trade. I think it was like 15 or, or 16 um, pairs at the same time. Oh, right. Okay. So, so that's a lot of pairs now. That's a um, multi-asset um, scenario like that. How, how would you manage that? Like as somebody discretionary, um, that would involve a lot of manual work, wouldn't it? I mean, that was one reason why I separated, um, like why I only have a very small um, portion, which I have to do manually because then the EA can do all the technical stuff. It can loop through all the instruments and then decide which one um, should be traded. I think if you really want to trade um, like many pairs and many assets, you have to at least automate some kind of um, the trading strategy because as you will be sitting in front of the desk uh, the whole um, day and uh, check all the charts. I mean, you can also do this, and some people do it very profitably. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't the right um, way for me to go. Yeah, because this is this is an ongoing debate, isn't it? In um, in in all circles, that um, whether whether completely automating uh, a trading strategy is advisable or not. And primarily, this is this debate comes from the discretionary trading side, with with good arguments, of course. Like some some people believe that discretionary trading is just more advantageous because you have this this human judgment factor this this ability to control outcomes by having a good idea of why the trade was executed 
um, people tend to people tend to gauge um, how the markets are trending or whatever other criteria there may be. There's this sort of um, psychological, you know, comfort there of controlling risk um, more more suitably or more appropriately if you're manual trading and that for automating the the part of the strategy that they can automate is in in actually performing the analysis and monitoring what they've already executed as opposed to going in completely automated from research through to execution um i mean i think yeah it's both both a strength and also a weakness because um i mean in my case i wouldn't really have the confidence that my judgment is always correct And what I always like to have is um, some kind of um, um, like confirmation that um, what I'm doing is correct. And if you do, for example, fully automated trading, then you can always check the last uh, 20 years of backtests and check if the strategy would have been profitable. Of course, that's never a guarantee that it will be profitable in the future, but at least it's um, like it gives me confidence in mm -hmm. continuing the strategy. You spoke about rules earlier that you draft a, drafted an algorithm, which I understand as having drafted a set of rules that you then would modify over time, right? As you as you changed your opinion or you saw a different trend, essentially you're sort of backtesting in real time your your rules there. So um, I'm interested to know how you would take if you're manually executing something. Um, how would you how you would take the element of emotion out of it like how did that affect you talk to me a bit more about uh, how you would either decide to engage or not engage in any particular trading idea that you've come up with and uh, what went through your mind at the time so I'm sure there will be people here who relate to that as well as people who are listening who who may be completely automated and not really have approached purely discretionary trading for the same reasons as as you've highlighted here that you wouldn't have the confidence for example to 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 create such a large portfolio of assets and then manage them from research through to execution manually um i mean in this strategy i also had um, i could also just set the direction to zero which would mean that i don't have a specific direction and the algo would then not trade this uh, the currency if I set the direction to zero. Uh, I had a way to, if I'm not sure, I can just say, like, don't trade this currency. It's also a reason why I um, stopped trading this strategy because I was, uh, I never was like 100% sure which direction it would go. And even if you look at all the um, research from the, from the um, trading desks, Uh, like, I don't know, maybe 40% are long and uh, 60% are short, and then it's not really clear if it's even um, um, goes that way. I also um, checked all the historic trades from these uh, these trading desks. Um, they usually, like Morgan Stanley, they give them specific trades, which they are taking, and I checked uh, the performance of those trades. It, it was actually quite good in the last um, five years, maybe, But uh, during the time where I was using it, um, it was mostly random. So um, I thought, well, maybe they are also not the guys who really know where the price <laughs> is going. And I mean, eventually, eventually I then stopped um, trading and um, moved to fully automated trading only. Interesting. So so you're, from what I gather, even in manual trading, as far as you're concerned, unless it makes complete sense to you, unless the, the logic behind it is sound, 
and the the numbers add up the it's a statistically um, sound scenario the trading idea you say that you have or had the when you were when you were doing manual trading had the discipline to either execute or not without really being sort of gut instinct about it not not having emotion in the picture yes that's a that's a very personal thing isn't it i mean many people have different affinities or, or what have you for for handling emotion in such scenarios so you mitigated it just as a it's just part of your personality you you had the discipline to evade anything that you felt did not make sense or was not statistically backed at least right yeah i mean uh, there's no never really a clear scenario but usually you can like um, try to um, put a, a probability to um, some of the outcomes like for example if they are starting tapering or not uh, and um, um, yeah but because of that uh, for me it was just not um, uh, not um, enough uh, like distinction between um, one or the other I mean one thing in which why I also stopped it was my strategy was using averaging so it would enter up to five positions in the same direction mm-hmm. so the possible loss case was much larger than the win case mm-hmm. and um, I generally uh, I moved away from anything that used grids or uh, such um, strategies because it's um, also also emotionally too um, difficult to watch a position being in drawdown like for maybe weeks or even months. So I prefer to uh, be be out of the market um, relatively quickly again. Yeah, that brings up an interesting point, loss aversion. So do you have any thoughts on um, how a loss aversion affects uh, manual versus algorithmic um, trading strategies? So I imagine that as a manual trader, if you're convinced you you have you know loads of conviction in your idea and that you you feel it's going to go through to where you think it should, um, loss aversion would be fairly high in in that scenario, wouldn't it? You'd hold on to your position and risk. Yeah, and also the personal component that you feel you're um, responsible for the loss, and you yeah, I mean it's um, just a personal thing that you feel. Yourself, um, you are responsible for the loss, but also mm-hmm. for the win. So you, um, it's like um, um, you are you are you can say that you are you are a failure or a success. And um, it's this is like emotional impact, I suppose, it was you're referring to. Yes. Yes. Um, Therefore, would you say you were more loss averse when you were trading manually versus in an algorithmic and automated environment where you could set very clear yeah. exit rules? But it also depends on um, like how long the uh, algorithmic strategy holds position. For example, if I have a night skyper, I'm sleeping during the time, so I couldn't even <laughs> interfere with the positions. Uh, but um, if I'm using a grid strategy and I'm down, I actually had this um, twice on um, in, um, pound pairs where I had a grid strategy which had like 20 positions. And I at both times, I exited at the um, worst possible moment. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was just, I, I couldn't imagine the price ever going back again, but exactly at that time, it's the reverse. So I think it's, um, I mean, there's often this uh, point of uh, like maximum uh, maximum pain maybe where mm-hmm. many people exit and that might be a trigger to um, then um, for the price to reverse. 
And then on the other hand, you also need to have all the information and also stay informed like all the time. So mm-hmm. for me, it uh, was uh, too time consuming, but uh, I can also understand if it's, um, I, I mean, if you really like to be involved in the market, then you also want to um, uh, stay informed and then uh, you can probably uh, take better informed um, decisions than just uh, follow the momentum uh, automatically, automatically, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I um, think it both don't have to exclude each other. You can also like have maybe two automatic strategies and, at the same time, we place a few um, manual traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, you mentioned earlier on um, that you were trading a, a fairly large portfolio, anything more than like an asset or two in a manual environment, I would consider a large portfolio um, to handle physically. How did you go about um, managing that whole activity? Like you, you mentioned, how many currency pairs was it that your portfolio had when you were trading manually? 15 or 16. Or 15 or 16. Not for 100%. So that brings a whole um, new kettle of fish into the picture, right? You, you In terms of risk. So each each currency pair has its own profile. How did you go about managing that? Each asset brings its own risk profile and standardizing that so that you don't cross your risk tolerance is something that needs to be taken pretty seriously and hence is uh, fairly difficult or time-consuming to handle in uh, a manual trading environment. So how did you go about controlling your target risk when trading a large portfolio of currency pairs as you were manually? I mean, in this um, strategy where I had like, um, part of it was manual and part of it was automated. Automated. I would uh, only allow to be um, um, uh, like um, to have positions in two pairs per currency. For, so I wouldn't allow a third pair to trigger a trade if I'm already filled in two um, pairs which, uh, with the same currency. So, for instance, if you take the the British pound versus the Japanese yen, the the pound yen currency pair and you compare its volatility to the euro dollar yeah um you've got a, a fairly different volatility profile so so my question is i suppose when you have a portfolio in your case of what 15 currency pairs all with varying volatilities uh, did you have any approach you'd like to share here that uh, allowed you to control the risk the actual risk of your positions okay. yeah um, when considering different um so many different volatility profiles in your portfolio um yeah basically yeah, i was using the average daily um uh, movement um, mm-hmm. i mean you could use the atr but it was very similar to an atr mm-hmm. and then the um, stop loss and also take profit was um, dependent on that so on the volatility could, yes and 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 consequently trading a large portfolio of currency pairs would you say that that is primarily what made you um, gravitate towards algorithmic trading in that uh, you saw that to be accurate about your research to be accurate about your entries and exits it just made more sense to go rule based than uh, stay totally discretionary yeah, I think it was mostly the um, just the fact that I could backtest the strategy and it gave me confidence to uh, use it. Even though now I'm actually not anymore so um, sure that backtests are really a, a very good prediction of uh, future returns because you usually have a, usually have a very high um, optimization and um, yeah, the, few, the the market can also change and it's not uh, really certain that it will always keep um, performing performing the same way. But um, yeah, I still like to have that as a, at least you can say that it worked in the past and that's uh, something. So. 
interesting. And uh, then there's the the angle of frequency, trading frequency. So um, again, I haven't delved into discretionary trading as much as some of my colleagues uh, or you for that matter. And you can also uh, diversify more through through different strategies. Like if you automate some things, you can have um, 20 strategies running at the same time. But uh, you could never do that uh, manu- manually. I agree completely. It would be quite difficult to manage a large environment, large being diversified, uh, both in terms of the assets being traded in the portfolio, uh, as but also from the perspective of strategies, like you mentioned. Uh, diversifying across assets is one thing, but it's also important to diversify across trading strategies uh, because you have market regime to consider and that if you want to appropriately diversify in uh, an environment such as we have today with varying volatility across so many different asset classes, it makes sense to not only diversify by asset, but also by strategy. Having said that, as, as you add more complexity of this nature to your, to your work, it becomes a lot of work if you're trading manually, right? So yeah. to diversify, if you have 20 strategies, each uh, catering to 16 or 17 assets, so in your case, 15 assets. I mean, what you could do, trade. for example, if you're looking for specific price patterns, you could uh, have an um, automatic um, scan of the pairs and then um, uh, you could, like, for example, an, an indicator which shows which pairs um, uh, currently fulfill the um, conditions that you have um, um, but at the same time then only execute if you're manually sure that you want to um, be long or short in that pair that could also be a solution Mm -hmm. and um, if you're trading something that's that's going to last a very short while and is very price dependent like you've identified through whatever research you've conducted that uh, it's this price that i'd like to to get having a large portfolio of strategies, each having its own portfolio of assets would make that a pretty difficult exercise to to get each price correctly if you're executing all orders manually. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm just trying to find like a, a, a counter arguments because we are both um, very automatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is good because I'm kind of being um, listener plus devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the in the mix, so it makes for an interesting conversation everybody can relate to. So, in summary, manual trading has its advantages. It allows uh, more control over, I suppose, your your research. It allows you to modify your trading idea. It gives you the the comfort of, um, you know, there's more human judgment in the picture. You're able to control your risk a bit more, sort of emotionally uh, and physically. You're able to see the impact or or change the outcome of your trade in real time should you wish to do that. And it there are a number of benefits to trading, uh, to having discretionary trading in your life, essentially. Um, the pitfalls of conducting just discretionary trading are that as you scale your effort, as your strategy grows or as your approach grows, where you have multiple strategies and multiple assets within those multiple strategies being traded, then the workload, time consumption, um, price sensitivity, if you're trading uh, something that will last a very short period, where positions will last short periods of time and are price sensitive, that's when things start getting extremely difficult if you're maintaining all of that activity uh, in purely discretionary terms. So my question uh, to you is, 
what was the th- what was the one factor uh, that essentially told you that yes it is time for me to automate a lot of or all of what i am doing because in order for me to scale this i need to have automation in the picture at what point did you arrive at that conclusion and how have you been about it since have you gone completely algorithmic or is there some part of your process that is still discretionary uh, there were a few reasons i mean one simple reason it's for i mean for me personally was that um I also didn't really have much to trade with at the start. And if you have a few K and trades manually, you need um, um, a long time to increase your capital. And therefore, I was also selling um, expert advisors. And the, of course, this is only possible if you have like a full automated system, mm-hmm. which you can sell. Oh, so you come, from a, you come from a strategy developer who, uh, background of a strategy developer who was also, uh, uh, you know, you also had a commercial part of your um, uh, to your side of things that you were also selling your solution yes okay and um, the other part was just that I didn't really have um, uh, the time to spend um, like all the day um, uh, researching and um, uh, for example during the during my studies I also had to uh, um, study for the um, exams and so on mm-hmm. so i really wanted to have some, something that i could um, just let run um, and um, without too much work um, but uh, i also realize now that um, even if you have an automated strategy you probably will work on it at least five years or so i'm not sure i mean oh, i, I still every time i found a find an a possible improvement i tested and then there are sometimes also bugs which have to be um, corrected so it's not like um, you finish a strategy in one month and then you um, can go on and uh, i'm uh, glad you say that i'm really glad you say that because uh, our experiences are aligned that way there's this popular notion which is that uh, a strategy once in place never needs any further work it's um, um, continuously there's there are things such as optimization to consider if you if you are considering optimizing your trading strategy there are different market regimes to consider the phrase past performance is not indicative of future performance is is very true because while while your strategy will um in in theory based on your back testing uh, be, you know, and have a likelihood of performing the same in future, it will almost never perform the same in future due to a whole host of reasons, as you probably know from your experience, right? Yeah. It's like varying market volatility. There are uh, variance in, in the assets that, um, comes in in the future compared to what was observed in the past, technological constraints price sensitivity latency there's there's many things that come into the picture so the whole popular uh, the the notion that an algorithmic trading strategy once live does not need to be modified is is entirely false <laughs> yeah. um and um i think more and more people need to to hear about it and we can we can hopefully do our part in getting that message out there that both manual and algorithmic trading strategies require continuous uh, maintenance they don't require mm-hmm. you can't just leave one thing in discretionary trading you simply can't leave it at all because otherwise nothing would execute <laughs> but in an algorithmic trading solution you you almost always have to revise your approach make sure it's still consistent with its forward testing compared to what you observed in back testing 
um, if there are any technological gaps in your in your workflow that you need to identify, such as you know a platform upgrade or if you're trading by API, for example, and uh, changes in an API, or if the assets yeah. that you are trading are no longer listed, how does that impact your strategy? Things like I that. I also so, know a few traders who um, like re-optimize every uh, month or two. Um, but uh, personally, I think it's um, also you shouldn't uh, optimize too much because uh, while it makes the backtest better, it's not always clear if it really has an impact on live trading. But I can also see the case for like re-optimizing maybe once a year, once a year and um, only using the last five years maybe in case uh, something has changed. So yeah, it can also and all of those things are variable, right? Um, so your your time frame for you know what you would determine as a time frame, like you just said, five years for example, could be different for different people depending on the strategy, right? So somebody might just need to consider the last two days worth of data, uh, whereas another person might be better off considering the last 10 years worth of data or five years worth of data in your case. Um, and it's all, all very strategy specific. Um, so before we go there, um, uh, I want to sort of take a few steps back uh, since we've now entered the algorithmic space uh, of our conversation. There is also the notion that programming ability or experience tends to be a factor in whether you can consider automating your strategy or not. And for many, many traders, this is a real thing because while people with computer science or generally engineering related backgrounds can find programming a lot more approachable than um, non-programmer audiences or non-engineering background people, um, they, it's, it's a valid point in that if you've never had exposure to a programming language before it can be a daunting exercise oh, yeah. and um and hence limit how much you can scale a discretionary trading strategy would you agree with that sure but uh, i mean it's also a great opportunity to learn um, programming and uh, think in the world today if you I mean, at least to understand the basics of programming, I think it's quite important. So even if you are not that um, keen, um, I mean, it might be worth uh, looking into it. Absolutely. I, th I think my stance on programming has always been, it allows you to sort of learn how to be more disciplined yourself as a person, I suppose. It forces you to stick to your guns. <laughs> When you have a trading idea and you implement it, your algorithm simply won't change based on its mood in the morning or how yeah. much coffee it's had. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, therein comes the valid argument for definitely considering upgrading your knowledge base if you would like to scale your discretionary trading strategy. You know, back in the day, programming was not as approachable as it is today. Would you agree? I mean, there were, you had to enroll in courses yeah, sure. at university. Uh, books uh, were the only big fat books on <laughs> trading on, sorry, on, on programming were really the only source of learning a programming language appropriately, but things have matured so much since then. Um, you know, I, I still remember, I don't remember the name of the book. It was this big fat book on C++ programming that I, for the life of me, can't remember the name of that I learned my first programming language uh, threw myself in the deep end and learned C <laughs> rather than a lot of people who, who today would just jump into Python, for example. Sure. Um, 
The point I'm trying to get at is that if there is anything preventing someone from, you know, psychologically from preventing someone from approaching programming, I don't think the barriers exist anymore that did in in those days when you and I learned um, programming because there weren't any interactive courses, there weren't short uh, boot camps, there weren't, uh, there wasn't, simply wasn't the the environment for learning programming for fulfilling for fulfilling any objective trading just being one of them like today people don't just learn programming to trade they they learn programming to to make their lives more efficient there are people yeah. who learn how to trade for uh, learn how to program in python not because they want to go ahead and write a trading strategy but maybe they'd like to automate something to do with their daily calendar or something like that and it's actually much easier to do that today than it was uh, before so i'd like your thoughts on that i'd like you to speak to me about how you would have a conversation with somebody today who has uh, a promising discretionary strategy but who could really benefit from automating parts of it or all of it if they were to simply consider adding a programming language to the mix I mean, first, I can also really understand if someone doesn't want to learn programming. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I um, ended school, I know I wanted to be a scientist with pen and paper, and I really didn't want to sit in front of the PC all day. <laughs> and now I'm a programmer, so it's mm -hmm. uh, changed a lot. So I can really understand if someone doesn't want to go the route. Um, I mean, if you have a strategy that is uh, mainly has technical entry conditions, for example, then you could also hire someone to, um, for example, myself, I also coded for a few people, mm -hmm. their strategy. And um, uh, of course you have to like trust the guy that he's not sales, selling it anywhere and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But uh, that's also an option. What advice would you give um, to people listening right now who, who, who would relate to the, the things we've talked about, you know, that programming can be a daunting exercise. Some may simply not want to be programmers for, for some reason or the other. Like I, I have several colleagues, several, several associates who, who simply don't have the, the, uh, we have very different backgrounds. And, uh, when I hear them speak of development in general, I, I, I tend, I sense this aversion to, to technology, um, that is a bit misled in, it would have been accurate or valid in the 80s or 90s, but I generally think it's misled today because this it's so easy for anybody these days to spend six hours and learn a new programming language. So what advice would you give somebody who, who has uh, something really promising that simply cannot be scaled because they don't know some kind of programming language? Um, yeah, I guess I would just try to um, like start... Um somewhere easy and um, see how it's going like if it's um, uh, most people if, if they they learn like if they follow a tutorial they also have um, a bit fun and uh, doing new stuff and learning stuff so it's um, probably I would just try it out personally I'm not the best example because I actually learned from uh, just looking at the um, uh, like finished products for example for MQL I never followed any tutorial I I bought the source code of an AA, uh, which was not prof profitable. I thought it was, but it wasn't. So, mm -hmm. and then I analyzed the source code. So it's a bit, um, I was always too, um, um, I didn't have the patience actually to start um, small. I always wanted to jump into the um, the finished finished product. Yeah. 
both discretionary and algorithmic trading strategies are rule-based. In one environment, you're trading manually, whereas in an algorithmic trading environment, you have everything automated. It's the same rules, just you're benefiting from technology rather than having to physically do the work. If you plan on scaling your effort, if you have something very promising that's discretionary at this point, you're going to hit that human limitation at some point, which is that to scale this thing and make it um, remain valid and be more or less accurate, especially if it's price sensitive, then automation is is almost uh, is essential. It's crucial for that sort of environment. The uh, barriers to entry into programming today are are practically non-existent compared to years ago, um, decades ago. I'm referring to in to, in today's world, we have it's it's super easy for someone to learn a programming language. Um, such as, for instance, Python. Python is probably the closest thing to to English, I would say, yeah, that sure. a programming language can get. And I think it has a very fast learning curve, uh, easy learning curve than than most other languages. And it also by approaching programming uh, with the with the intention of oh, at some point I'm going to use what I'm learning to scale my discretionary trading strategy. It's a very good place to start. Because if you can figure out how to structure your thoughts in a programming language, you've already crossed maybe 70% of the challenge uh, to do with learning a programming language for algorithmic trading at all. Those are the, that's the primary challenge, right? How to structure yeah, your... One, I mean, once you learned it, you can also test strategies more easily. For example, there are like many YouTubers who... Uh, promote uh, simple technical strategies and you have no idea if they work or not. They just show you like five uh, examples in the history where it worked and um, uh, people try it out and lose money. And this way, if you know how to program, you can easily backtest it for the last 20 years and see if it worked or not. So it's, yeah. Absolutely. In the end, it also saves time. It saves time, yeah. And it allows you to be more calculated in your approach, doesn't it? It allows you to... Yeah to not take an idea at face value, hear about it and decide that, oh, I heard of this interesting idea. I saw somebody's results and I'm going to go and use those same rules in my own trading account. It gives you the ability to to test that and challenge any ideas that you see uh, that come up. If somebody says, oh, I have this um, XYZ trading strategy that trades uh, whatever crossover at whatever period, and here are my results, rather than um, taking the approach of, hey, great, I see somebody else's results based on these rules. I'm just going to implement these rules myself, which is what a lot of discretionary, particularly retail discretionary traders tend to tend to do. Uh, having a programming language in place to whatever level you've learned it allows you to just very quickly test whether that idea makes sense and whether it would work for you or not based on what you've seen. So there's definitely a, a, a huge benefit uh, at least in terms of testing ideas rather uh, than were you to go ahead and create a full-fledged solution. So as an algorithmic trader, how have you how have you matured over time then? I mean, all of this is like we've been going through a, a debate of our own right now and discretionary versus algorithmic. So it's been quite fun. Well, what's happened since you, since you picked up the algorithmic um, baton and went ahead and started automating uh, most, if not all of your, all of your work? Um, yeah, first I would say that it's not 100% automated, like there's still a very small part that I do manually. For example, for um, night Skyping strategies, I would check um, 
um, if there are important events, for example, during the Brexit period, I would uh, check um, for um, debates in the House of, House of Commons. And um, on those days, I would just uh, filter out um, the pound so that, uh, yeah, to reduce the risk. So, so I still took some um, manual um, decisions. I mean, if I have new ideas, I still test them and um, I'm always searching for new um, ways to trade. The first uh, programming language that I learned was Python, but then um, just because MQL is so um, important and um, yeah, if you want to use the backtester, then it's also easiest to use MQL. Therefore, I then um, switched to MQL mostly for trading. And right now, are you doing your research part? Are you doing that in Python or MQL? Um, mostly MQL, I would say. I mean, usually I have an idea to improve it, like a small idea, and then I would just check if it's better or not in the backtest. And if it's better, I would include it. If not, I would wait for the next idea. Not too much research at the moment because I'm also focusing on other projects. I'm not a like full-time um, strategy searcher at the moment. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if it comes to other things like more complicated data, um, I would use Python if um, I want to analyze uh, um, the data. And we can cover that in, in a future podcast as well. Some languages that will permit you to test an idea and just the idea, whereas other languages will per permit you to test the idea and possibly create several additional ideas around that original idea, um, such as Python, for example, which um, uh, not only being uh, one of the easiest languages to learn is also um, by, by its design, it en enables you to make subtle changes or radical changes to, to your existing idea and test the results very, very quickly. If you have a trading strategy for MetaTrader, you could always get an insight into how investable your trading strategy is if you were to link your account to, to DarwinX. You could uh, easily upload your track record or connect your connect, meaning just link your existing account so the data gets into the diagnostic toolkit at DarwinX. And um, you can then have a uh, an overall view of how your strategy ranks from an investor's perspective, how stable your risk profile is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's huge advantages to, to uploading your track record to DarwinX uh, if your intention is to scale this and uh, attract more investor capital uh, down the line. So you can actually scale your trading strategy and your trading business as a whole, rather than just trade with your own capital and, and use, use leverage, for example. This is again, a subject for another, another podcast that where we'll talk about your Darwinian pursuits. <laughs> um, but, um, I think that about, um, that about covers practically all angles that we had today regarding manual versus discretionary trading. In summary, um, we've addressed the advantages of both. We've talked about uh, how discretionary processes give you more control over both the ideas as well as the um, elements such as uh, risk. Um, they afford you more uh, emotional control over your environment than one would, uh, one would see from an algorithmic environment. Having said that, the larger your discretionary strategy grows, the more important it becomes for you to automate parts of it because uh, due to just human constraints, we simply can't, for example, trade a portfolio of 20 strategies with 
20 assets, <laughs> uh, the permutations just go out of control at some point, And we simply don't have the, as human beings, don't have the ability to manage all of that activity efficiently enough. That builds a case for algorithmic trading. We talked about how programming languages are not as uh, at all actually hard to learn today than they were maybe a few decades ago. Um, particularly these days with certain languages that can allow you to, at, at the very least, test ideas really fast, such as Python, um, that you can learn in a few hours, really. There are, there are several courses on places like Udemy or tutorials online that where you can literally, if you have a knack for reading source code or reading things and making sense of them, you can always download existing source code, of which there is a bundle <laughs> on online and uh, read through and see how you can structure your trading ideas into this programming language. And then maybe then take a course, a short one uh, on Udemy or places like that uh, to learn the language properly and then just write your own or at least test out some ideas that you have or that you've seen rather than going in blind and copying the ideas and replicating them on your own trading account. And in future, like we'll have more detailed discussions on on the algorithmic trading side as well talk about uh, language choices, uh, talk about how they impact your ability to create one strategy or another, choices that enable you to efficiently retest your existing ideas when things change in future, like market regimes or the assets you're trading or any other factor. And we'll uh, we'll cover all of that with you too, because uh, in my experience with you, I, I know you are into all of that. <laughs> So I'd yeah, love sure, to pick your brains fun. more in future. But thanks. Uh, this has been great. Uh, hopefully our debate sheds light on um, uh, as neutrally as possible on this manual versus algorithmic <laughs> trading debate. I know some people have very, very strong opinions about, you know, one or the other. Um, I me, think we instance. didn't really make a good case for manual trading. But um, the one thing maybe... I hope like, we did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing which I'm, I might add is that... Um, for um, algorithmic trading, you also need access to the data. So um, yeah. um, some data is really hard to get, like, for example, future expectations of growth or other, um, uh, like anything to do with expectations is really hard to um, um, like quantify. So it's easier um, to judge uh, manually. Yeah. And uh, on that note, actually, good that you bring it up. The more The more sources of fundamental information that you are considering, um, the more important it becomes for you to have a process that allows you to conveniently and accurately take a look at all those sources. So if you're viewing just one source of fundamental data, like, um, you know, analysts' uh, views on XYZ event that would affect the the assets in your portfolio, then that's a fairly straightforward task. You just look at that one. But imagine you have a larger portfolio with a larger number of strategies and they, have, by, by definition, have a larger pool of maybe 20 or 30 fundamental sources. Then you, by, by definition, as a human being, you're simply unable to perform all of that activity efficiently enough without making mistakes or at the very least driving yourself completely bonkers <laughs> in, in doing so. Um, hence the need for automation. And therein, I think, lies our good good debate because i don't i don't necessarily think we've um made a good case for one or the other but i think it's been a neutral debate in that uh, we've talked about manual trading and talked about its benefits 
And if you're not planning on scaling your effort, there are advantages to remaining manual, actually, um, rather than going through the, the work involved in automating the strategy. There's no real reason to go automate something that is perfectly manageable um, without involving additional complexity, right? Um, but if you are going to scale it, if it's going to grow, or if you want to step away from the screen, then automation becomes important. And if you don't have a programming background, that may have been a deterrent back in, you know, a few decades ago when, when it was much harder to enter into the world of programming without jumping a few academic hoops. But today simply isn't the case. Um, today you just have entire business models around educating people on programming fast. Um, so I would encourage anybody listening to this who may not have a programming background, but is in this particular predicament of being unable to scale their strategy or their whole discretionary approach because of limitations uh, such as automation, uh, I'd encourage anybody listening to this to at least have a crack at the easiest programming language that there is out there, um, which I would say probably at this point would be Python. Is there anything easier than Python? I'm not aware. Um, I started with Python, but uh, I think that Python is also the one which will have most um, value even later. If you're, um, I mean, it's not only good to start, but also um, really good. Um, um, yeah, you get a good uh, value. Um, yeah, you learn how to structure your thoughts um, in code. And I think that's the most important takeaway um, with, with Python. Whether or not Python is right for you um, is, uh, is is a subject. Uh, for another day, it's more of a case of, is it right for you given what you're trying to achieve? So I can imagine a lot of uh, meta trader specific traders going, well, why, why should I consider Python when, um, when I need to actually implement things in MQL? And the answer to that is you don't actually need to implement anything in MQL with uh, certain tools that are out there that help you do that. For example, if you have a uh, trading strategy that you've built in Python, you can very conveniently use the DarwinX 0MQ or DarwinX Direct Connect um, packages. But, uh, actually, the last one that I just mentioned, we haven't actually released yet, but we have, a, we have a, a direct connector now, which we'll be talking about in the future podcast, that allows anybody with an ex a trading strategy written in an external programming language to trade it through a MetaTrader without actually having to do any development work on MetaTrader. And that includes both MetaTrader 4 and 5. So therein lies your answer to that too, that uh, if you're looking to learn something easier than MQL, you can actually do that at DarwinX while still trading inside MetaTrader. Um, so there's there's that for us to cover next time. Let me make a note of that. <laughs> I'm going to bug you about that next time. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, but thanks a lot, mate. It's been great. Uh, as usual, I think uh, we'll get some interesting feedback to this and uh, take account of it for our next podcast. Thanks so much again for your time. Okay. See you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Thank you.